0: Alright, so we are back in Luke today, Luke chapter 7, we're going to be looking at verses 18 through 23, Um, so yeah, it's very, just a joy to be in the house of the Lord, joy to have some of our visitors here today, joy to see some of you guys who aren't visitors but maybe haven't been here in a a while, and just great to see you guys, great to be here to worship the Lord. and so today we're going to be continuing on in Luke. We've been going through Luke now for well over a year. And uh, we're in chapter 7, verses 18 through 23 is what we're looking at today. And so the title of the message today is, When Doubts Arise. When Doubts Arise. And they will. Church, they will. Doubts of all kinds. Uh, if, 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 if you're not in a season of not having any doubts, just wait. They'll come. <laughs> They'll come. And we'll see that today. But that's the title of the message. So, have you guys ever had just what Charles Spurgeon calls a dark night of the soul? You guys ever had a dark night of the soul? I hear some. I hear some. Maybe some agreement with that. You know, and, and sometimes it just comes on you for no reason that you can pinpoint. Sometimes it may be directly related to circumstances. Okay. Now, I'm not talking about. I'm not because we're going to be talking about these things, these doubts, this dark night of the soul that that. That we get, I'm not talking about necessary things that that are caused from your sin. Okay, when we sin against God as believers, we should feel God's heavy hand upon us, His conviction. No, they, these are just like, you know, whether it be depression or just doubts, we go through these times. It's going to be a great example to, to us today, and encouragement. But but Spurgeon, that's what he called it. Spurgeon battled with uh, depression a lot, but he, he called it the dark night of the soul, and I've had many. Um, a couple of examples in the Old Testament. Elijah, the prophet Elijah in 1 Kings 19 verse 10. Listen to what he says. He said, I've been very zealous for the Lord. You remember what, you remember what Elijah did? I mean, many things. But this was right after him Him basically you know, calling down fire and the, and, and the Lord uh, consuming the, the sacrifice and basically just the false gods of Baal really the Lord just putting them in their place. So it was a victorious time. But then we see, we see evil. Uh, Queen Jezebel and others after his life. Listen to what he says. This is following really just such a high point in Elijah's ministry. He said, I've been very zealous for the Lord, but the sons of Israel, and, and the sons of Israel forsook your covenant and tore down your altars and killed your prophets. And then you guys remember the statement he made? And I'm the only one left. He he was, and and they seek my life. You see, Elijah was going through a time, you could call it a dark night of the soul, after a major victory, to the point, guys, where he literally made the statement, I'm the only one left, Lord. You see how his perspective was totally out of whack. He was not seeing any things in reality the way they really were. He, he lost perspective. You know, men, we talked about yesterday in our men's uh, breakfast, the, uh, the devil's schemes. Satan has schemes. He knows when to attack. He knows it when you're down and he will pour it on. So we see a mighty prophet of God like Elijah basically saying, I'm the only one left. And what did God tell him? No, actually I've got 7,000 others who haven't bowed their knee to Baal. But when you get in that time, that dark night of the soul, when, and, maybe, and maybe you're experiencing doubts of all kinds. Doubts of God's Word. Doubts of God's promise. Doubts of God's love for you. Maybe doubts of your own salvation. Be encouraged. You're not the only one who's been there. Okay? Jeremiah, in chapter 20, verse 14 and 15. Prophet Jeremiah. Listen to what he says. Cursed be the day when I was born. You ever had those thoughts? (laughs) You don't have to answer. But Jeremiah did. The prophet Jeremiah, who God called to be the prophet to to the southern kingdom, to preach to Israel, to preach to Judah, to warn them of judgment to come because of their sin, their idolatry. He says, cursed be the day when I was born. Cursed be the man who brought the news to my father saying, a baby boy has been born to you. The prophet Jeremiah, guys. You ever been in a down place? They have. In, ver- in verse 8 of that same chapter, we, we, get a, we, get a, we get a picture of maybe why he was really similar to Elijah. He said, the, the word has resulted in reproach all day long. God, I tell him the truth and there's nothing but reproach and opposition. The people said in verse 10, denounce him. Right? He was, he was thrown into a pit. Left to die. This is, this, this, is the, this is the prophet Jeremiah basically saying, I wish I was never even born. You ever been in a dark time? You ever had a dark night of the soul? You ever been depressed? Oh, you're not alone, church. You're not alone. You're not alone. We're going to see another prophet of God today in our text. There's experience in a dark, Night of the soul. I love that phrase from Spurgeon, a dark night of the soul. So let's look at, let's look at verses 18 and uh, 18 in our, in our text. Luke 7, 18. Um, so we just read, we just read it a while ago in our scripture reading, so I'm not going to read it again, but we'll just go through them, okay? Verse 18. The disciples of John reported to him about all these things. Okay. So the disciples of John reported to him. Well, do you guys have any idea where he's at at this time? He's in prison. He's in prison. John is in prison. Please remember that the prisons of those days were not like ours. And have a little, you know, comfortable little bed with a, some, you know, maybe even a TV. No, they were they were horrible. The conditions were horrible. So he, he had been thrown in prison. We can see this if you if you flip back over to Luke chapter 3, verses 19 and 20. It says, but when Herod the Tetrarch was reprimanded by him, reprimanded by John because of Herodias, his brother's wife, and because of all the wicked things which Herod had done, Herod also added, added this to them all. He, he locked John up in prison. And so that, that, that account actually came later. Luke's not really right in chronological order. But later, John was thrown in prison. He just He's telling the fact there. He was thrown in prison. Why was He thrown in prison, church? For calling sin, sin. That's why He was... For being faithful to God. For being a faithful prophet of God. A faithful messenger of God. For being obedient. Just like Elijah was obedient. Just like Jeremiah was obedient. John was being obedient. He not only only ushered in the Messiah, saying the Lamb of God who has come, but he, He addressed the leaders of His day. When He saw sin, He called it out. And so if you guys remember, Herod had taken his brother Philip's wife. That's what was going on. So you had adultery. But did you know Philip's wife was also Herod's niece? So you had adultery and incest. And John knew it. And John said, "Uh uh-uh. John called sin what it is. I bet you John wouldn't have counseled people to come to the wedding." Or take a gift. It's no different. Now he called sin what it is. He called sin what it is. He he did not compromise. We must not compromise. Before we move forward, we must not compromise with sin, guys. Call sin what it is. Hebrews 13.4 The writer of Hebrews says that the marriage bed is honorable among all. It's beautiful. It's honorable among all. One man, one woman, the marriage bed. But fornicators and adulterers God will judge. Okay? God doesn't change. And so, and so John was being faithful. And he was thrown in prison. And it says, still in verse 18, the disciples of John reported to him while he was in prison about all these things. What things is, it, is that referring to? Well, obviously it could have been things that's not even recorded in Scripture because we know Jesus did much Many miracles that's not even recorded here. But if we just think about what we have seen so far in the Gospel of Luke. All of these things. They reported to John what the Messiah was doing. What, what Jesus of Nazareth was doing. When you go back? You don't have to turn here. But just kind of review where we've been. In, in Luke chapter 4. You remember when Jesus healed Peter's mother-in-law? We, we started to see him exercise his authority. Luke, was, Luke is trying to establish to his hearers to Theophilus and whoever would read that this is the Messiah, that this is God in the flesh. He has authority over sickness. First of all, we saw that. In that same chapter is where he cast out a demon in the synagogue. He has authority over the kingdom of darkness. If he's going to deliver us from the kingdom of darkness, which he does when you come to faith in him, he delivers you from the darkness. And so he was just establishing that yes, I have power over the demons. And he demonstrated it. The demons are terrified of him. Church, understand that. So he cast out the demon in the synagogue. And in, in Luke chapter 5 is when he told Simon, Hey Simon, they've been fishing all night. Remember, they caught nothing. Simon's a professional fisherman. And Jesus said, hey, cast your net over here. <laughs> the net's filled up. The boat's almost sank. What, what was Peter's reaction? Simon's reaction. He saw the power of God in Jesus Christ. He said, depart from me, I'm a sinful man. Some of these things they would have been sharing with him. John, this is what the Messiah has been doing. The one that you said would come, this is what he's doing. And then in, um, later on in Luke chapter 5, you remember he cleansed the leper? Remember, remember what a picture that was? Right? He really did do these things. And he ha- God has the ability to do these things today when he chooses But the greater picture of it is that He cleanses sinners. Have you been cleansed? Have you come to Christ for cleansing? If not, come to Him today. The invitation is open. The invitation is not just at the end of the sermon. The invitation is 24-7. Call upon the name of the Lord, Jesus Christ. He will cleanse you from your sin. But but he, he, He cleansed the leper. He healed the paralyzed man in that same chapter. All of these things they would have been reporting back to John, and then Luke 7, we just looked at in the last, the last two weeks, he healed the centurion slave a couple of weeks ago. And then last week, to, to kind of cap it off, what did he do? He raised a dead man. He raised a dead man. Nobody even asked him to. His mother didn't even ask him. He just did it. He had compassion upon the widow. And then he, what did he say, a young man arise? Did he ask permission from anybody? No. He exercised his sovereignty, his authority, his power. And the dead man set up and began to speak. And that's where we were at last week, right? Right? We are dead in our sins. But when God saves you, he's raising a dead man. He's raising somebody who is spiritually dead. Guess what, guys? And when God raises you from the dead and gives you life, you now have a new heart, guess what? You'll speak. You'll sit up and speak. For Christ. Ah, oh, He has saved me. I'm now alive. So that's some of these things is what uh, John's disciples would have been in verse 18. All these things. And look at verse 19. 19 and 20. Because 19 and 20 really say the same thing. Summoning two of his disciples, John sent them to the Lord saying, Are you the expected one? Or do we look for someone else? when the men came to him they said John the Baptist has sent us to you to ask are you the expected one or do we look for someone else so that's what we're going to look at here in a minute what's going on with John but before we do that guys let me ask you that let's ask ourselves that is he the expected one let's answer that for ourselves before we move on is he the expected one we sang the song did we not we sang the song, uh, "Come, Thou Long Expected Jesus." He is Christ is the true and better, but is He really? Let's. I want to. I want to take you for through, through a brief tour of the Old Testament. Okay, Old Testament, New Testament. If you want to jot some verses down, jot some verses down, and um, and so they're just a, maybe a reference or two for each point that I make. And so, is He the expected one? Let's let's just look at what the scriptures say. Old Testament, New Testament. First of all, the expected one along with the Father and the Spirit created all things. Genesis 1, John 1. The expected one who was promised in the Garden of Eden in Genesis chapter 3 to do what? To crush the serpent's head. That's what was promised in Genesis 3. In 1 John 3.8 is where John says that, that he has come, the son of God has come to do what? Destroy the works of the devil. Fulfilling that verse. The expected one, His sacrifice for sin on the cross and and clothing us in robes of righteousness when we come to Him by faith, was pictured in God's killing of animals to clothe Adam and Eve's nakedness with the garments of skin in Genesis 3. The expected one, the Messiah, was to be a descendant of Abraham from the tribe of Judah. Genesis 22, Genesis 49, Galatians 3, Hebrews 7. The Old Testament priest Melchizedek picturing, was one that was picturing the expected one's perpetual priesthood. Genesis 14, Hebrews 6. Abraham offering his son Isaac on the mountain. And God providing a ram instead was picturing the expected one as our substitute who would die in our place. Genesis 22, 1 John 2. Joseph being betrayed by his brothers and yet being the deliverer of his brothers pictures the expected one who was betrayed by His his own people, the nation of Israel, and sinners in general, the world in general, but yet saving those very ones. Genesis 37-50, through John chapter 1. Noah's ark. Noah's ark. The boat that Noah built. The refuge from the storm for those who would take refuge in the boat. As great as it was, In a greater way, pictured the expected one, Jesus Christ. That if you take refuge in Christ, you will escape the storm of God's eternal wrath. The angel of the Lord that we see at different times in the Old Testament, a pre incarnate manifestation of the expected one. Every spotless, innocent lamb within the sacrificial system, in the nation of Israel, in the tabernacle, in the temple. Picturing the expected one, the Lamb of God, who John the Baptist said came to take away the sin of the world, in John one and in first Peter one. The fiery serpent in, in the book of Numbers in the wilderness, to whom sinners would look and be healed when bitten by poisonous snakes, pictures the expected one. Listen to John three, fourteen and fifteen. It says Jesus says, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness. Even so, the Son of Man must be lifted up so that whoever believes in Him will have eternal life. Look to the Son. He's mighty to save. The expected one would be the great prophet spoken of by Moses in Deuteronomy 18. The people recognized Him in John 7. The apostles recognized Him in Acts 3 as the great prophet. Boaz, Ruth's kinsman, redeemer, was a type of Christ. Was was a, a type of the expected one. But the expected one would be those who would redeem His people with His own blood in 1 Peter 1.18. David, who we sing about, the shepherd, king, pictured the, the expected one, Christ, who was the chief shepherd and the king of kings. He is the Son of God. Jesus Christ, the expected one, He is the Son of God. He is the suffering servant in Isaiah. Born in Bethlehem, according to Micah chapter 5. Of a virgin, according to Isaiah chapter 7. Suffering for our sins and rising from the dead. In Isaiah 53. And then lastly, He reigns with power as the Son of God. The expected one reigns with power as the son of God, who is the king in Psalm chapter 2. And the Bible says, kiss the son. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way. What does that mean? Kiss the son. Bow to the son. Bow to the son of God if you have not. Lest he be angry and you perish in the way. For his wrath is quickly kindled, but blessed are all who take refuge in him. Take refuge in Christ, my dear friends, if you have not. And He is mighty to save. Yes, church, amen? He is the expected one. He is the expected one. So having said that, answering that for ourselves, dear church, I want to say this, but dark clouds of doubt will come. Dark clouds of doubt will come in your life. So it's good to be ready. It's good to be prepared. Good to be reminded and encouraged that you're not the only one. So if you have, if you follow an outline, if you follow the bulletin that's on the back of the, uh, or if you follow the outline that's on the back of the bulletin, there's a statement at top, on the top with three points that we're going to look at. When the dark clouds of doubt arise, not if, but when. When the dark clouds of doubt arise, we need the bright sunshine of the Lord's clarity. Amen. And they do. just dark cloud. We live in a fallen world, guys. We're battling our sinful flesh. Uh, we, live in a lot. we live in a world with other sinners. We live in a world with sickness. We live in a world with loss. We live in a world with damaged relationships, hurt, pain. You're going to have those times. And so, let's look at three things here. In verses 19 and 20, the first thing we'll see is John, this is John the Baptist, John's dark cloud of misunderstanding. John's dark cloud of misunderstanding. So why was he doubting? Why was he doubting? Again, Who, who we, we, let's remind ourselves who this is, sitting in this dungeon, this prison cell. This is John the Baptist. This is the one who testified so powerfully of Christ, of Jesus of Nazareth. Flip over to Luke 3. Let's be reminded of, 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 some, of the, some of his testifying. Luke 3, 16-18. You know, he was he was preaching out in the wilderness by the river, right? They were all coming. Listen to him. In 16 John 3:16 or Luke 3:16. It says John answered and said to them all, "As for me, I baptize you with water, but one is coming who is mightier than I, and I am not fit to untie the thong of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to thoroughly clear his threshing floor." and to gather the wheat into his barn, he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire, so with many other exhortations he preached the gospel to the people. Warning of sin, calling men and women to repent, preaching the gospel. Doesn't sound like he's struggling there. John 1.29 again, I just quoted it is where, he, where in John's gospel where he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who came to take away the sin of the world. That was John. So we see his great testifying of Christ. That's what, made, that's what made him so great. One of it was just the privilege he had, the ministry he had, to usher in the Messiah. And we see him doing that. And then in John 3.30, we see the, his character, his humility. That's where he said, speaking of Christ, he said, he must increase, but I must decrease. Amen. See, that's John. That's this one who has this question. John 3.36. John the Baptist says this, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. That's a promise, by the way. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. But he says, whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. I mean, he seems certain, right? This doesn't seem like a man who's, he knows who, who Christ is. This is He who was talked about in the Old Testament repent, repent, the Messiah is coming. And so so again, why was he doubting? Well, the text doesn't say. (laughs) The text doesn't say, this doesn't come out and say it, but when we think about Jeremiah, when we think about Elijah, whom we looked at, when we think about the human condition, we're people just like, I mean, the Bible says in James, Elijah had a nature just like ours. These are men, okay? These are not superheroes. Let's get that out of our minds. These are men. These are sinners who were saved by God's grace. And they struggle with things. And so knowing, knowing the human condition, knowing just the weakness of our own selves and looking at these other prophets and knowing the reality that we have a devil who is our enemy, who hates us, who wants to get you down, who wants to kick you when you're down, who wants you, who, who would would love nothing more than for you to think God's finished with you, or God's word is not true, or this or that, to cause doubts. So, knowing these things, maybe it was maybe it was just being in prison. Maybe it was being in this horrible place. The doubting castle of Pilgrim's Progress. If you guys remember that story. It's just picturing this very thing, this dark night of the soul that we're gonna go through. He, he was in, so maybe, maybe just the fact he was in prison, right? This was a, he was faithful to the Lord and now he's in this prison. Maybe he was experiencing, experiencing some kind of just spiritual despair because of his circumstances. Very likely. He's, his, his mind is clouded, right? Have you ever been in that situation? <laughs> I am too, my wife can tell you. Don't tell him too much. Yeah, I get that. We call it the pit. Pit, I can't even see clearly. She has to come along and say, Honey, many times it's after a great day. Many times it's after a wonderful day here. And then all of a sudden I'm in this pit. And I'm just like, I'm telling her. I, and she's like, she used to think, like what in the world is going on? She, she understands now. And I, know, and I know when it comes that it's an attack. This too shall cease. But when you're in that time, you don't. your perspective is messed up. I'm glad others can identify with this. Church, we can lose perspective during these times. I think that's part of what's going on with John. You lose perspective in what? God's work. You lose perspective in God's work in your life. And what God has done for you. And what He's doing in you. And and what He's doing in the world. When you're in that time, you forget all this stuff. Sometimes, it, sometimes we're in that. We need to learn not to be so self-absorbed, because it makes it worse. Poor me. God doesn't. God's through with me. God's oh this and that, and it's just. I'm not trying to be insensitive. I'm there. I, I'm there a lot, and that's that's where we need to start. No, remember who Christ is. Remember what He's done for you. Remember what he's doing in the world. So that could have been some. Of it. I'm sure I am certain that was some of it. Maybe some of it was false expectations in John's. He was just a man, by the way. And what do I mean by that? Go back to Luke 3. I'm going to look at a few few verses here. And then a few more here in a few minutes. It's just trying to figure out where he's at. Because we all can be here for these, for these same reasons. Maybe some false expectations going on in his mind. In Luke 3 verse 9. Says this. Indeed the axe is already laid at the root of the tree. So every tree that does not bear good fruit. is cut down and thrown into the fire. And then 16 and 17 that we just read. John answered and said to them all. As for me I baptize you with water. But one is coming who is mightier than I. And I'm not fit to untie the thong of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork. Is in his hand to thoroughly clear his threshing floor and to gather wheat into his barn, he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. So we see in these verses basically Christ bringing salvation and judgment. And maybe John's a little confused. Okay, you're telling about all these miracles he's doing. When's he going to judge his enemies? I was faithful to him and now I'm riding in Herod's prison. When's judgment coming? Is this... Did I, did I get that right? Is, is this him? This could have been going on. I thought he was going to judge his enemies now. And <laughs> it's not happening. Yes, I hear about all this stuff, but when's he going to judge all the religious hypocrites? When's he going to overthrow Rome? Who we are oppressed... Under. When's he going to do these things? Did I get it right? How about destroying these wicked leaders? These tyrants like Herod. How about getting me out of prison? Just some of the things that could have been going on in John's mind. I'm I'm sitting here rotting in here. And you're telling me about how he's healing some people. Beloved John's timetable was off in a sense. He had some false expectations going on in his mind. I I think that's highly likely because we see other passages in the Scriptures in the New Testament where the disciples did the same thing. Because they saw some of the passages that we'll look at here in just a minute in the Old Testament where it talks about Christ's coming and salvation and judgment. They thought it was all now. And they thought it was all their immediate enemies. Rome and other enemies. And so this could have been going on in John's mind. Yes, church, he will judge. Judgment's coming. But first he came to save. I want to show you something that's really neat in the Scriptures. Turn to Isaiah 61. So turn to Isaiah 61 and then hold your place in Luke 4. Isaiah 61 and Luke 4. And this is really, really neat and you'll miss it. Isaiah 61, verses 1 and 2. Listen to this. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the afflicted. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted to proclaim liberty to the captives and freedom to prisoners... To proclaim the favorable year of the Lord and this last statement. And the day of vengeance of our God. You hear that? It's a gospel, gospel, gospel. Vengeance. Now flip it over to Luke 4. Which we covered several months ago. But listen to Jesus quote this same portion of scripture. In Luke 4. um, 18-21. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind to set free those who are oppressed to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. He stops there. He stops there. He doesn't mention the vengeance part. He stops there and in two verses down He says, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. He's talking about His first coming. Not His second coming. He stops it before He gets to the judgment. That's there for a reason. He came the first time to save. Amen? Amen. He did not come to judge. He's coming back to judge. When the Old Old Testament prophets would give these prophecies, it wasn't 100% clear to them. You see His first and second coming many times in the same prophecy. But Peter talks about how they did not... It wasn't as clear to them. And that's what's going on here. He came the first time to save. John the Baptist needs to remember this. In, in John three sixteen and 17, right? John three sixteen: For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him will not perish but have everlasting life. The very next verse says, For He did not come into the world to judge the world or to condemn the world but to save it. That's why He came the first time. Amen? I'm glad He came to save. Not just immediately to judge because we're all doomed. And then in Acts 17, 30, 31, God commands all people everywhere to repent because He has fixed a day in which He will judge the world in righteousness by a man in whom He has appointed and He's given assurance to all by raising this man from the dead. No, judgment's coming. Christ is risen from the dead. He's at the right hand of the Father, and judgment's coming. But not yet. And so maybe John's forgetting this. Maybe John, maybe it wasn't clear in his mind. So there could have been some misunderstanding. There could have been some loss of perspective just from being in prison. And maybe he's 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 forgetting the fact, or he's not fully understanding the fact, but that yes, he will judge. His enemies, but it's coming later. Beloved, beware of the clouds of misunderstanding. Beware of the clouds of misunderstanding and doubt because of your circumstances that you're in. Maybe even a misunderstanding of Scripture. Maybe it's not His first and second coming with us. Because it's pretty clear we have a full revelation that He's coming back, right? That judgment's coming. He, he will judge his enemies. We're to warn those enemies, come to Christ. But maybe it could be false expectations because maybe you have some tentacles in you of the false prosperity gospel. You don't even have to be a part of that movement. But maybe you have some of that in your thinking and not even realizing. Why am I suffering? I didn't think I was supposed to suffer when I came to Christ. I thought everything's supposed to be rosy. Why am I sick? Why does my wife have cancer now? Is my faith not strong enough? You see how these things can creep in? If you have false expectations? I feel alone in my Christian life. Why so much pushback from my family? From my friends? I thought this thing was supposed to be a bed of roses. A joy ride. Why do I feel so alone as a Christian? Peter says, don't count it a strange thing. In 1 Peter 4, When when, when various trials come. Suffering for Christ. The testing of your faith. I've had to cling to some of those many times. People in my own family. No, Jesus said this would happen. So we can't lose perspective from from maybe a misunderstanding of something in the Scriptures. Or, Or maybe just a time of depression that God is taking you through. But to John's credit, guys, he took his doubts to Jesus. He took them straight to Christ. And that's what you and I need to do. That's what we need to do. Take them to Jesus. If you have questions, take them to Him. Are you in a dark time? Maybe you're in a dark time right now. If you're not now, you will be. I'm sure you have been. These dark dark nights of the soul, you know what you need to do? You need to go to Christ. Go to Jesus Christ. Go to His Word. Go to His promise. He cannot lie. He's there for you. His Spirit lives inside of you. Go to His Word. Yes, yes. We talked about last week. Part of that is Christ's body here on earth. Other believers, the church. We should be there for one another. Put an arm around your brother or sister. Yes, I understand, man. I've been there too. I've been in that dark night. You're not alone, man. You're not crazy. You're not crazy. John the Baptist wasn't crazy. Elijah wasn't crazy. Now, their enemies thought they were crazy. And God's enemies will think you're crazy. But no, you're not crazy. Go to Jesus. Go to His Word. Go to Him in prayer. What does the Scripture say? Ask, seek, and knock. Keep on seeking. Keep on knocking. You know, because sometimes... You're just not feeling it, right? And I just don't feel it in my Christian life. God never says walk by your feelings. He says walk by faith. Because you're not going to always be feeling it. When, when, when trials are just mounting up in your life, and man, you're just trying to get through the day, work, and your job, and sleep, and rest, and fighting off sickness, and this and that, and, and, and difficult people. You're just trying to get through the day. You're not feeling it. But we are to walk by faith and not by sight. No, you know what these things do, guys? You go to Christ. You ask Him. Oh, Lord, I need you. I need you, Lord. You seek. You knock. Those are present tense. You keep on asking. You keep on seeking. And you keep on knocking. And you know what's happening during that time? It causes you to grow closer to Him. And I think that's the point most of the time. That's what Christ is interested in. You coming to Him. God sends these things in your life. Amen. Oh yes, He uses, He uses. He orchestrates, He's sovereign, He uses difficult people, He uses sickness, He <laughs> uses depression. But He wants you to come to Him. That's the very point of all of this. Draw near to Him, and He will draw near to you, James 4 8. So John's dark cloud of misunderstanding, guys. I think we, if we're not careful, we can We will! Okay, just remember this. You're not the only one to be in the the doubting castle, the depression, and all of these type of things. And we must remember what Christ promised in the gospel and what He did not promise. He did not promise an easy road. And so that will help you navigate trials at times. So secondly, let's look at the Lord's bright sunshine of reassurance. So we see John's dark cloud of misunderstanding and then the Lord's bright sunshine of reassurance. At that very time, now we're in verse 21. Back in Luke 7. At that very time, He cured many people of diseases and afflictions and evil spirits and He gave sight to many who were blind. At that very time. You know, this is, this is just a picture of Jesus. At that very time when they brought the question... Jesus was so gracious to both John and his disciples that could have been doubting. Because the disciples could have been doubting as well. And John was so gracious to both of them, to, their, to their, the condition that he was in, that it says at that very time he cured many people of diseases and afflictions and evil spirits, and he gave sight to many who were blind. He understood John's condition. He's like, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to perform some miracles right now. Now you go back and tell him. You see how sympathetic he is? Because he knows John's weakness. He knows maybe these disciples, their weakness. And guess what? He knows your weakness. He knows my weakness. He's sympathetic. Does it not say that about him? Hebrews 4.15, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. He is sympathizing with John's weaknesses but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. You remember who Jesus was? He was truly God and truly man. And as a man, Jesus the man, remember Him in the wilderness, being tempted by the devil for 40 days without food, without food and water. Hungry, tired, being tempted by the devil. You think He doesn't know what a dark night of the soul looks like? We can't even imagine the darkness he had. The night before he was arrested, where his, his, his sweat was like drops of blood. Jesus Christ, more than any man that ever lived, understands the dark night of the soul. And he sympathizes with you, church. He sympathizes with you. He sympathizes. His own family called him insane. I don't have the verse reference, but hopefully you guys remember that. They called him insane. This is God in the flesh. They said, he's crazy. The man's a lunatic. Or how about him experiencing really just a few, all of these massive crowds that he would preach to and these so-called disciples would be following him. But in the end, it was just a few because they would just leave one after another because they didn't, he didn't meet their false expectations. Many of them were after just the bread and the, and, the, and the food and the healings. And when He didn't deliver, they were gone. He was a man, guys. He experienced depression just like you and I. In many ways, Christ knew what it was like to be alone. And we're never alone. We always have the Holy Spirit. We always have Christ. You usually have other brothers and sisters in your life. But, but we are promised that we're going to be part of a few. But he he understood this. And he wants to remind John and his disciples once again who he is. And beloved, you have the Holy Spirit. We don't have Christ here presently to say, oh, oh, Carl's struggling. Hey, I'm going to go out here and heal a bunch of people. That way he'll perk up. No, you know what we have? We have the Holy Spirit to remind us of these things. We have the Holy Spirit to remind us Of the truth of scripture that's why you need to be in the word of god daily 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 and just in the word of god so when the enemy of god comes at you whispering those doubts you say no no thus saith the lord this is who my god is no my bible says that he is sympathetic towards my weakness but you have the holy spirit also who indwells you it says the spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of god Amen. Beloved, when you're down, okay? When you're down, think back in your life. Think back in your life. What has Christ done for you? you were blind and now you can see. Amen? Amen? Think back to these things. When I was just a little bit older than Matthew is when God converted me and saved me. And I think back to those times. I was a different man back then. And I have to remind myself. Because there's days when I feel like I'm the old man. And the devil will come and pound you in the ground and say, you're no different. You lost your temper back there. No, I'm a new man. You're blind. But now you see. There's no greater miracle than that, guys. That you were dead in your sins. But God made you alive in Christ. God adopted you. You need to remind yourself of these things. Have you guys ever journaled? You don't have to answer. You ever, you ever write things in a journal what God's doing in your life? I have at times. Not super consistent in it, but I would encourage you to try it. Because you can look back two months ago, five years ago, ten years ago, and you can be reminded of this thing, what God is doing in your life. In certain areas of your life. Because we need to be reminded. And the Holy Spirit is there to help you. To minister to your spirit. To testify with your spirit. Yes, you are a child of God and the devil's a liar. That's why we need to be transformed like we were discussing yesterday, men, by the renewing of our minds through the word of God to protect us from misunderstandings. When we're in the pit, when we're not seeing things clearly, when we're clouded by doubts, we need to be so grounded in the word of God that even during those times of doubt, even during those that dark night of the soul, That we know God's love for us. We know His purpose for us. That we're not promised healing in this life. God may heal you, but He may choose to use your your sickness or your whatever condition it is for His glory. Oh, for His glory, like He did our brother Rocky. You understand how, how powerfully He used him in his suffering? Still using him. Our missionary friend Daniel, he had no idea about Rocky. I seen him some videos. You know what he's saying? Whoa! That's awesome preaching, brother. I was telling him stories about him. But amen, that's what he does. No, we're promised suffering. That's the one thing we are promised, church. We are promised suffering. We are promised that we're gonna suffer for Christ, and then we're gonna suffer things in this world because we live in a fallen. World. Yeah. Philippians 1: 129, Paul says this, for, "For to you it has been granted for Christ's sake, not only to believe in him. Do you hear that? It's been granted for you to believe in him." That means it's a gift. Even the ability to believe, it's, it's granted by God. But what else does it say, but also to suffer for His sake? Suffering's a gift from God. We may not, it may not feel like it at the time, but it's granted by God. It's given by God to suffer for his sake. It's for our good, church. It's for our good. For no other reason, and there's multiple reasons that we don't even know of, but for no other reason than than that you will seek him. You will seek him. And he says in verse 22, go and report these things. So he was so gracious in 21, he cured at that time. He, 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 he cured many people of, of afflictions and diseases and evil spirits and he gave sight to many who were blind and he answered and said to them go and report to John what you have seen and heard the blind receive sight the lame walk the lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear and the dead are raised up and the poor have the gospel preached to them. Go and report these things guys. Go tell John. Go tell him. Yes, Jesus is doing all these things. And here's the key, guys. And it was prophesied that He would do them. Go tell John that. What's he saying here? Go report these things back to John. Because John would have recognized this because John knew his Old Testament Scriptures. In Isaiah 35, we read it earlier. John would have known this He needed to be reminded of this in Isaiah 35, verses 5 and 6, for example. Isaiah 35, 5 and 6. Then the eyes of the blind will be open, and the ears of the deaf will be unstopped. Then the lame will leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute will shout for joy. For waters will break forth in the wilderness. Isaiah 26, 19 is another one. Your dead will live and, and their corpses will rise. John would have recognized this and Jesus knew He would. That's why I said, go back and tell John, this is what I'm doing. Because if He thinks back to what the Old Testament Scriptures will say, it will remind Him, yes, this is Him. Yes, this is Him. Jesus is bringing the sunshine of His reassurance. Yes, this is John, you got it right. You got it right. This is me. This is what I'm doing. Go back and read Isaiah. And what's amazing about this, back in Luke 7 and 22, He goes through, you know, the the giving sight to the blind, the lame walking, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, which is what we saw last week. The dead are raised. But that's not even the climax. What's the climax? The poor will have the Gospel preached to them. That's the climax. That's always the climax. And church, Jesus wants to reassure you during your dark time of the promises of the Gospel. That's what He wants to reassure you of. The promises of the Gospel. It's again that perspective of what God has done in your life and what He is doing in this world, and why we exist as a church. It's always the gospel. Yes, the blind receive sight, but you and I need to be reminded, what does the gospel do? It gives sight to the blind. It gives sight to those who are spiritually blind. God gave sight to you. You were blinded by the devil at one point in your life, and God opened your eyes and gave you sight. Amen. When you're in your dark time, remember that. He is still giving People sight to see the good news in our city, around the world. The lame walk. (laughs) What a picture of salvation that is. The lame walk. Did you know before Christ, the Bible says we are walking according to the course of this world? The prince of the power of the air, who is the devil? And Jesus comes along and saves you. And now, like Enoch in the Old Testament, like Noah, it says they walk with the Lord. Now you're walking properly. Now your feet are shed with the gospel of peace. Take the gospel to this world. The lepers, He said, the lepers are being cleansed. Again, I asked you earlier, have you been cleansed? That's what Christ is doing. That's what Christ did for you. Remember that in those dark times. I'm not the same person I used to be. Jesus has cleansed me. I am a new creature in Christ and He's cleansing others. It's not about me. It's not about me in my dark time. It's not about me. It's about Christ. God is saving sinners in this world. He doesn't want us to go AWOL. You are going to face trials. I'm going to face trials. But let's not lose perspective The death, says in verse 22, the death here. That's what we pray every time we go out and preach. Lord, give the people ears to hear. Give the people ears to hear. So all these miracles He really did. And He can still do. And He does when He chooses. But it's a picture of something even greater. He causes us to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. He gives us ears to hear those who were spiritually deaf. And then, and then, yes, He raises the dead. We were dead in our transgressions and sins, were we not? Amen. But what does Paul say in Ephesians 2? But God, even when we were dead, made yes. us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Amen. And if you're not saved, call upon His name and He will save you. Amen. By His grace. Be encouraged, church. Let's be part of all this, what God is doing. Let's be part of it as individuals and as a church. Let's be part of this gospel being preached to the world so that the dead can be raised, so that the blind can be given sight, so we can see people come out of darkness, out of the bondage of sin to Christ. can set them free. And then last. Real quickly guys, the Lord's warning in verse 23. The Lord's, the Lord's loving warning because it's a loving warning. Verse 23, he says, Blessed is he who does not take offense at me. Blessed is he who does not take offense at me. I believe this also came out of Isaiah. You don't have to turn there. But jot Isaiah 8, 14 and 15 down. It's not a direct quote or anything like that, but really some of the same meaning. There's other passages that are similar as well. Isaiah 8, 14, and 15 says this Then he shall become a sanctuary, but to both the houses of Israel, a stone to strike and a rock to stumble over, and a snare and a trap for the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Many will stumble over them, then they will fall and be broken, they will even be snared and caught. And there's other passages that are similar. Talking about, talking about the Jews and others, just our world in general, they, they stumble over Christ. He's an offense to them. And so even with, all the, even with all the promises that we looked at, and there's so many more in the Old Testament, and the fulfillment of Christ in the New Testament, sadly, most Jews of that day and today and the world at large still reject Him. They stumble. They stumble. And are offended at the very thought that they need to be saved. They're they're, they're offended at John 14, 6. Jesus says, I am the way. I am the life. And I am the truth. No one comes to the Father except through me. We had a couple guys coming the other day. Matthew, before before you showed up, just... Just out, just screaming. Just like, had to tell a guy, calm down. (laughs) Because he's just saying, Muhammad, Muhammad. No, Jesus said, I am the way. He didn't say, I'm one of the ways. No, He is the way, the truth, and the life. And that offends a sinful world. But Jesus said, blessed are those who don't take offense at me. And so in closing, church, don't stumble over Jesus. Even as Christians, okay? Even as Christians, Don't stumble over Jesus because maybe He doesn't meet your expectations in some area of your life. Expectations that He never said He would meet. Don't let it become a stumbling block. Jesus never promised an easy life. And if you hear of a gospel that promises an easy life, it is a false gospel. Right? You need to lovingly rebuke them and tell them the true gospel. Now, He never promised an easy life, but He promised suffering. He said it was granted to us to suffer for Christ. Suffering. Now, that will look different in each one of our lives. But you will experience some kind of suffering for Christ. Isolation. Rejection. Um, depression. from just That comes with all of this. I mean, I've been depressed many, many times as a Christian that I never would have been before. Feeling alone. Feeling again, like the, like the nut, like the weirdo. But he promised that, guys. He promised that the way would be narrow. He promised that the way would be difficult. So, know these things. Take comfort in these things. And don't Be offended by Jesus Christ or any of his words, anything that he would say, anything the word of God says. Don't be offended by Jesus, but be offended by this world who offends God. And then take the gospel to them. Amen. That's what they need. They need the gospel. Let's pray. Heavenly Father. God, we thank You for, uh, again, like we say every week, Lord, we thank You for Your Word. Thank You for the truth of Your Word. We thank You for this example, Lord. Father, these things were written for our instruction. The Old Testament was written for our instruction. The New Testament is written for our instruction. And we see such a faithful man like John struggling Times in his life. His disciples may be struggling. Elijah's struggling. Jeremiah's struggling. There's others. So, Father, we thank you for that. We thank you that these these accounts are here to remind us that we're not alone. That you're the same God yesterday, today, and forever. That Christ is a sympathetic high priest, that you promised these things. And if we will open our Bibles and, and be in your word, we will see these things so that we will not be taken off guard. Father, we thank You so much for Your Word. Pray that this message would be an encouragement to us all to not lose heart, but to just cause us to draw near to Christ when these times come. Father, we love You so much. Father, we love You so much. We praise You for who You are. And we just uh, thank You for for the instructions in Your Word. On occasion, when we remember You by taking the supper that you instituted that last night with your disciples, Lord. And so we just want to remember you even more today as we do this together, Lord. Father, we ask all this in Christ's name. Amen.